Hey, this is Craig Finn. You're listening to That's How I Remember It. I started this podcast to talk to various creative folks about the relationship between memory and creativity and how memory affects the stories we tell each other and ourselves. Today, I have a very exciting guest in Amanda Shires. Amanda's an accomplished solo artist, a member of the High Women, and a fiddle player that's played with a ton of people, including the Texas Playboys, Billy Joe Shaver, Justin Towns Earl, The 400 Unit, and many more. Her last record, Take It Like a Man, was recognized as one of 2022's best in many publications. And although I don't personally make these kinds of lists, it was definitely one of my favorites as well. I'm so grateful Amanda came on to speak about that record and so much more. We had a really great talk. Here's how it went. The history is rewritten When the memories get meddled with the way that I remember it. Amanda Shires, thanks for joining us. I'm going to start this how I start each of these podcasts and ask you, do you consider yourself someone who has a good memory? I can't answer that question with a yes or no. Well, qualify it then, if you can. I feel like what we do with our memories is, how, is, is the reason. It's kind of like how we get through our lives, you know. I think a lot of folks are guilty of, of rewriting things. And I also think like it's all dependent on how you actually feel in the in the moment because I don't know if you've heard the Molly Drake song. It's, I think it's called, I remember oranges, I remember oranges, and you remember smoke. Like, <laughs> different takes on the memories too. Yeah, I really like love this, um, this concept of, of, you know, how we misremember how we build stories sometimes, our own stories on things that we misremember. You know, we kind of build these buildings that somehow end up crooked because the foundation's a little off. How do you think your own memory or your own relationship with memory affects your storytelling or your songs, et cetera? Um, well, you know, I can say that it affects my songs in that... Um, if if I don't remember the details well, I I can afford to to make better ones. Yeah. And um, if I want to make a few ugly situations better, I can do that, like I've done before on a song. Sure. Do you, and when, so when I started this podcast, I, I one of my theses was that all the writers I talked to would say they have a very good memory and they're telling the right side of the story. And that hasn't necessarily been the case. I'm someone who thinks I have a good memory. J- Jason has the retention of, like, I don't even know how he does it. Mercy has it too. But Jason, he learned as, as a defense tool growing up. I I learned the other way. I learned to, to um, forget and go on, you know. Yeah, well, that's something when when uh, you know my partner and I have had arguments. I sometimes can bring things up from mm-hmm. September 2015 or something, especially if it's a conversation. I can really remember it. I've probably used it to ill ill effect, um, and I don't think that's really great. Well, you know, once you have an argument and settle it, it's bad form to come back to the old argument. <laughs> well, no, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be that. It would be more just like you've contradicted yourself now seven years later, which isn't fair either. <laughs> no, because you grow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because you grow, and you can't. You know, something you said that far, but but I do remember it. But I 
One of my other theses about the songs and the, you know, I'm asking about the stories is, is that details sometimes, you know, like, like when we write a fictitious piece or a song that's didn't exactly to happen to us, sometimes the honesty shows up in the actual details. Does that track for you? I think the de- details make a better song. I think that honesty, I guess, happens if you can communicate the emotion that you're trying to communicate. I think the details are what actually make a song because that's how people relate to songs. You build your little world, and if you don't have anything they can hold on to into it, in it, I don't think that um, I think it goes easily into the land of abstractions. Yeah, one of the guests um, who was a TV writer said something about a hollow bunny, where if if the details aren't right or aren't true in a story, it, it ends up like eating one of those Easter candies. Yeah, like I think yeah, you could be honest in a song and also honestly need to fix one of the details because it it doesn't sound real sometimes. You know, like you could if you wrote a song and you were like, and we. Blah 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 on the Eiffel Tower. Well, most people have never been to it, so you you could either say that and be like an indie artist and be real cool, or <laughs> and, and brag about the Eiffel Tower or something. Or you could talk about the I don't know. I'm just relating this in a lot of different ways. Or you could the Eiffel Tower in Vegas. That might be a good one because a lot of people have been to Vegas. <laughs> I find myself when I listen to songs, like if you had me rank the lines of a song, I'd always like the one with the detail. You know? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's also where you can make the song not the same old, same old. It's usually where you can um, turn the cliches upside down, too, in the details. And John Prine told me one time, he was like, what I like to do with the details is um, I like to put a cup, you know, if there's a cup or there's there's flies or there's a screen door or there's um, something that, you know, in the room, even if it wasn't, it could still have happened in the room, but you have to be more than just in a kitchen. Yeah, right. Put the people in the kitchen. Yeah, I had this memory myself of of what my parents didn't have a lot of music around, but they had a few records, and I used to listen to Paul Simon's Greatest Hits a lot. And there's that "Slip Sliding Away" um, that song, and he says, "I know a man who came from my hometown where passion from his women." But in the third line, he says, "He said Dolores, I live in fear." And when he said that name. In the third line, rather than the first, it snapped into focus for me. Now, all of a sudden, this woman has a name, and I can see her better. And I think that that tool... I, I really, you know, I'm 51 now, and I realized like that might have been like my biggest songwriting lesson when I was seven years old. It's perfect. I do that all the time, like wait to reveal their name <laughs> because it, it it's a trick. It's not a trick. It's it's just like it's like the camera moves or something. Right. I've never really used a name in a song like that. Maybe once, but now I'm, ri- I'm making a note to write a song with a name in it. <laughs> I wish Harry Styles would give names in his songs. I am so curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's almost like I don't have children, so like sometimes I hear a name I like, and I can think, oh, I could use that, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. How about, are there early memories of, the, do you have early memories of music? Like what, what, what was, you know, first things you remember about playing or hearing music? Hearing music first. My granddad on my da- on my dad's side of the family, my parents were divorced, but um, we spent a lot of time in the pecan orchards and the peach orchards, gathering peaches and pecans. Like I'm talking about using a tractor with the shake, you shake them and get them, and we go do the thing, and then we pedal them on the road or we take them mm-hmm. to a place and sell them. The the whole time that the truck radio would be on a station. And it was it was the best country, best country of the year those years. Um, 
you know, the George Strait. Yeah. All that, the Brooks and Dunn and all that kind of country. And then when Granddad went home, Dad would turn it to classic rock. So that's my earliest memories. And then my mom listened to pretty much whatever the pop station was playing. When did you start playing? I got a fiddle when I was 11. I started playing professionally when I was 15. Was there first music that was like yours versus your parents or outside of your family or anything? Yes, R&B and rap and hip hop. And I learned fiddle. I picked up, I wanted to fiddle after I got the fiddle. I didn't know why I wanted it, but I'd been listening to my hip hop and rap and going to the violin lessons, you know, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And there's a synthesizer part on West Side Connections, Bow Down, and it goes, <laughs> meow, meow, meow. Turns out that was a synthesizer and not a fiddle at all. So my whole career is a sham. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to synthesizers. I mean, you get yeah. That, that's, that's pretty amazing. How about like, um, and I've been asking everyone this because I'm really interested in this. Is there music when you listen? You know, when you listen to music, is there music? Does it does it connect to seasons at all? Do you have music that like I only listen to in the summer? I only listen to the winter, or is that not a thing? Definitely. I definitely have that. I think that's one of those beautiful things about music, that the way that it occupies time. Yeah, I like to listen to um, shit tons of Richard Buckner and Jason Molina in the fall. Yeah. That's what I listen to in the fall and the winter. Yeah, and in the summer I don't so much, unless it's like nighttime and I'm suffering my normal bouts of insomnia. How about place? Like, Does music change like where you are? I mean, you're on tour a lot, etc. I was, I've been on tour like some this year. Uh, I got to leave twice for long periods of time. But um, place, you know, sometimes I think when we talk about place, I tend to think about states of mind. So sometimes, you know, if you, if you feel it, feel in a certain way and you need a certain kind of music, you put it on. Mm-hmm. But um, place to place, you know, sometimes it's fun to make your own playlist, you know, like when you're driving around or riding around for that town. But um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes when I'm on the West Coast, all I listen to is Tom Petty and yeah. a little bit of Roy Orbison. And uh, but, I'll, but I also do that year round. But sometimes I like to put it on and see, like, imagine them driving around, checking their mixes, looking at the same <laughs> things I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have like Sunday morning music for sure. And then in in the city in New York, since I've lived here, like electric Miles Davis in the summer. There's something about it sounds like traffic. It sounds like yeah, noise. It's noisy and busy, and and that's music I would never listen to in the winter. I always wanted to live in New York. Well, still time. <laughs> still time. <laughs> but yeah, I think it. it and New York has changed my listening habits. There's certain things that I don't. I, I, there's m- music that I think of as wide open music, and I don't listen to nearly as much of it when I'm home. I listen to New Music Friday every Friday. New Music Friday. New Music Friday. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine does uh, full album Fridays, where he has to listen to the full album. Oh, I challenge the full album Friday to that 72 song uh, live at the Fillmore <laughs> Auditorium that that was released recently of Tom Petty's. I, I haven't gotten that yet. But oh my I, I god! You, it, they got it on streaming right now. I'm still waiting for my vinyl, but there, there's some magical moments. I have a. I got a car for the first time in 22, 21 years this year. Did you get a driver's license? I always had a driver's license because okay. I grew up in Minnesota, <laughs> but uh, uh, and I never let it lapse. But I got a car, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a Tom Petty Sirius station, and it's, yeah, there is. It just stays there. 
Yes, it's worth the whole subscription. As we talk about memory, it makes me sad that, like, you know, like, like you think about this. And I, I saw Tom Petty one time, um, which is great. I'm glad I saw him. But then I think about all the times I could have seen him, you know? And maybe it's, I mean, it's, it's, he's a legend. Obviously, I always knew that, but I also feel like I personally underappreciated it or didn't. Right. You know, there's, yeah, there's some feeling about that. I always liked the underdog nature of his songs and songwriting for sure. Speaking of memory, time and place for stuff, I remember not liking specific like grail records just because I didn't like it. And then later it came to be something I really loved. Yeah. I mean, I went to college in 89 and Full Moon Fever was the dorm album, you know? And and, and it was too much. I heard it too many times. And I didn't, you know, it was like playing out of every room. And and now I think it's like obviously a classic and a beautiful record. That that happened to me with Ace of Bass and I still haven't recovered. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it's a few years down the road. Like as far as art and music, books, etc., are there are there particular eras that you're drawn to? I mean, yes and no. I'm kind of in this era of writing right now because I've I've read a lot of stuff. There's just I kind of have a little bit of baggage everywhere I go with this because for most of the like literary times that we've been allowed to write and not use a false name. There hasn't been a lot of women to read, and um, and um, which is fine. I love mm-hmm. a lot of men writers, but um, I'm digging this era, and I, I I really like the artist de Koenig, and I really like his wife's work, which I just newly discovered. Thank God for the internet. But yeah, as far as like periods and reading about that, no, there's too much restrictions. I, I like a love story, though, so I'll put up with something if there's a love story. But it's just, I just get kind of actually disgusted sometimes because I'm like, ugh, it took us so long to get to this point, and we still don't have bodily autonomy, or, you know, we're still telling, you know, uh, Lady Lucci how to dress at 75 when she looks awesome. Let the woman wear a strapless dress. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Right, 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 right. I've been asking everyone that, this idea of eras, because, well, for instance, I just saw like the, this film on the early 2000s New York rock and roll thing. And and it was all right. But what I really was tripped out by is that I moved to New York in 2000 and, and how different it looked in like 2002. I was like, I couldn't concentrate on the foreground because I was obsessed with the background. And I was like, <laughs> how, did, how did it change on me in 20 years so yeah. much? I, I don't think that. And I think with memory, a lot of the times when I watch films that happen in my lifetime, mm-hmm. I'm sort of obsessed with that because um, it's confirming sort of mm-hmm. what my memory is. The mm-hmm. older the older it gets that's still within my life, sort of the more interesting. Like, like Seth Galifianakis live at the Purple Onion um, <laughs> when he's cruising around and he's driving his, his crazy van. That, that looks like how I remember California used to look. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of that. And just like how men used to, like, I don't know, like when you go oh, somewhere. Oh, yeah, dressing up and stuff. I mean, on an airplane or at a, even at, like, you see, like, an NFL football game and the men are wearing suits and you're like. I feel like that's coming back. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, it takes a lot. I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of folks that still can't tie a bow tie, but, um, <laughs> but it looks damn good when you want to wear one. I mean, I think I think I just had a conversation with a with a, a guy that I know who's younger. I was like, you guys, it feels like younger people to me 
wear very comfortable clothes versus like, <laughs> and I was like, you know, and he was like, well, you wear jeans on an airplane? And I was like, well, yeah, if I'm wearing jeans, like, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I have to get in a, in like a complete leisure to sit for three hours, but. I mean, and in some cases you have to, when you get dealt the Southwest full flight <laughs> and they've squished the seats up so much that everybody's spilling their drinks on you, it's probably best to wear your, your you know, leggings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, with a man, there aren't as many choices, uh, I feel <laughs> like, to, to look okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got an MFA at Swanee, right? I did. I don't know how I did that. Yeah, well, a huge, rich literary tradition. And your career was already, you know, as a songwriter and a musician, was already happening. And I'm curious what, what drew you to doing that and how it might have changed you as a writer. I like to do things and then then I fall in love with things and I get obsessive about things. Mm -hmm. And that happened to me with words. I think that um, I always feel like I have to have some kind of, I can't just ordain myself a writer ever. I could never do that. Even if other people can, I just never learned how to do that. And so I, I was just trying to, A, learn how to not work on instinct alone and B, be able to argue with myself better when I sit in the room and write a song because I would get into you know, the disagreements on the page that that, that are time-consuming and, and unnecessary. And I felt like if I had more of an education and more tools in the toolbox, I could probably move around more comfortably on the, on the page and at the same time not beat myself up the whole entire time of songwriting. And so did it work? Yeah, it worked. It worked uh, almost too well because now I listen to things and, I, and I'm overly hard on the lyrics to things and I forget sometimes that not, not everybody wants to write that kind of song and a lot of folks want to write a song that's nice and chill to listen to and we don't have to you know think so hard and I've been working on balancing that in myself even just trying to I don't know lighten up a little bit but I don't know I take it so seriously <laughs> Wait, I don't take myself seriously but I take the work way too seriously your record, Take It Like a Man, came out last year. New York Times named it the best of 2022. It's showing up on a lot of lists right now. It's a great record. I've been enjoying it for months, but like in preparation for this, I listened to it and read every lyric, you know, right along with it. And uh, there was some stuff on the page that came out that I already knew were the words, but there's something about reading along that was profound in a way that hasn't been even on songs I like as I've prepped for other of these. And I think that, may, you know, curious if you think that might be some of the um, diligence or the, the poetry. I mean... Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I don't fall into the folks that believe a song is a poem or a poem is a song unless, you know, you set it out like that. Like, there's a couple of people that have done that type of work, but I don't think every single song's a poem or anything. But I do think that definitely influenced how I do line breaks and how things line up on the page, for sure. Hey, this is Craig Finn, host of That's How I Remember It, which is supported by DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, TikTok, etc., all the major streaming services. Use the app to upload new releases, edit account details and metadata, Get notified when you've earned royalties and see your stats. And you'll get 30% off your first year's membership by visiting distrokid.com slash craigfan. 
So, hey, get your music out there and do it easily. Thank you, DistroKid, for supporting That's How I Remember It. In, in the song, Take It Like a Man, I, I know the f- cost of flight is landing is such an amazing line. And that one, I knew that already, that popped off. But to the chorus, the, the actual statement, I, you know, I, can ta- I know I can take it like a man. I felt like when I read it, I came up with this thing of like, okay, there's this sort of macho, I can withstand this. Um, which is the the way the saying you know is mm-hmm. often used, but then there's also a taking versus giving, mm-hmm. um, and I wondered if that was intentional. I mean, was I reading too much into it? Or, you know, no, you're not. To- there's there's a whole a whole slew of ways that it, sometimes just that just that phrase that's been you know overused and, and overtaught even to the point of. That, that that people are not parenting like that anymore, but um, it, it goes it goes exactly where you think it goes, and every time you think of something new that it could mean, it means that too. Right, right. It was a revelation uh, as I read it, and then I, I just out of my own curiosity, fractured thirteenths is such a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Thirteenths. Is a is a strange number. I mean, it's a it's a loaded number. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that? Did you choose that? Just curious. Did to, as as because of the way it sang, or was there a thought of thirteenth beyond that? Yeah, it's a musical reference um, to oh, the way I mean. music theory works. And then, you know, I'm describing another person, and and we're talking about music here. So, yeah, it, it's a music in this sense. It's a musical term, and then it applies and. To the relationship as a whole, I think it's a stretch, you know, when you play that on a piano. Even now that you say that, and I th- picture it on a keyboard, I have a keyboard mm-hmm. here. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get it. It's yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost painful. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> in stupid love, like there's another one. There's like you know, I, I'd, I'd heard the song a bunch and ringing me out, um, which I was singing along and thinking about ringing out like a wet rag, you know, and then I realized ringing out. It, it 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 it's preceded by a line about bells uh-huh. and thinking about ringing out like bells, and that was uh-huh. another one that I was like, yeah. Oh, well, that wow. one's actually about um, ringing me out. That's like when when a, a dude or somebody could be any person goes down on a person with a, uh, you know, goes down on a another person. That yeah. could be, a, and in my case, I'm a woman, so that's that's right. what that is. So you keep singing that, and we'll keep thinking that that you're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. But also, that works with rag too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, ringing, ring like a ringer. You know, right? It, yeah, it's all this. It's it works both ways. I'm it does. Just, it does. That's the beauty of it. I think. <laughs> As I was listening to all the songs and sort of thinking about it through the lens of this podcast about memory, et cetera, it struck me that like the songs on this record to me are very present versus a lot of the songs that I prep for these discussions with other artists. Like in everything as its time when the record ends on at least on the vinyl, I think it says for worse or better, better, nothing lasts forever. And so the songs to me don't seem they don't seem maudlin. They 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 kind of lay the facts out bare. And I'm wondering if this is by design. Are you deliberately making sure these are happening in the now? Are you, you know, avoiding that sort of maudlin or looking back? Yeah, that's a, that's the first time I got that question, and that's exactly right. I set it out to to be as in the present as much as possible, um, even so much that I recorded like twenty two or twenty, I can't remember five songs, and the ones that 
dealt with time in the past since are just chilling, you know, over here on my hard drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It it was I mean it was a it was a revelation to see this. I was like, wow, I don't I I I, I, because I'd listened to the record a bunch, but like that was yesterday. I was like, these are really happening, and and so many, you know, as I'm looking for things to talk about, I was like, these, these are these are happening now. They're not looking back. Do you is is nostalgia unattractive to you in that sense? Oh, I love nostalgia. I'm, some of my that's some of my favorite things to do. I like I like, you know, have other songs like Harmless, where it's like looking back, and then I don't feel like it's that modeling and. Unless you're looking back, it feels like that happens a lot when you're looking back on your youth and you're sad about being old, you yeah. know, because it really you shouldn't be, <laughs> you should be glad you made it. Do you think, I mean, my partner Angie and I sort of have this talk and she thinks I'm more nostalgic than her and she goes to f- as far as saying like, it's it's a dude thing. I think it's also romantic. I think it's a thing that happens too with people that tend to be, you know, more more of what they call those what do they call those romantics? Hopeless romantics. Yeah, Hopeless, like any kind of people that are into romance and romantic things. Nostalgia plays a big part of that, I think. To circle to our other point, the uh, rewriting of our own memories in some way, because sometimes they're not as beautiful as we made them out to be. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I think that's what happens. I mean, I sort of think like in the in the dude sense of it, like l- remembering the big game or something that <laughs> happened a long time ago and reliving it and sort of, you know, reliving the the big moments, etc. That's good cuz some people don't ever celebrate the big moments. Yeah, but you also hope there's some ahead, right? Oh, you know, what I mean, definitely, definitely. We yeah, we, well, you know, they, they were fatalists too. Those, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah, And it's hard not to be a little bit when you, as you, you know, cross certain milestones, mm-hmm. or keep injuring yourself in the same ways. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The first song on the record, "The Hawk and the, for the Dove," obviously mentions two birds. The next song mentions loons, warblers, wrens, falcons, birds, etc. In empty cups, there's trees, the sea. Throughout the record, there's an awareness of nature, thorns, wolfsbane, super bloom. There's instincts and animal attraction, etc. Do you look to these this nature to sort of frame where our humanity sits? I mean, I'm, I, you, when, when you I saw out your window just a, a little bit ago, and there's obviously a natural scene out there mm-hmm. unfolding, and there's bird feeder, etc. I guess is that how you sort of frame where we sit in this world? I think, yeah, I think it, I'm a naturalist, I guess, but um, I think because I grew up in the country and I grew up, you know, working with my dad and my granddad and them on the land and then later in greenhouses wholesale, you know, as they would sell to places you would buy your flowers from. I developed a relationship with the land and things that grow and the animals out there and also just that's the nature of growing up in the country. I find a lot of a lot more examples of animals, um, you know, freedom and simplicity. I find that it's like easier to think of in those terms for me as to as to how well this is now I'm getting really vague I mean sometimes I look around and I see things that are it's easy it's easier for me to explain things in the context of of nature because I'm already talking about human nature or my own nature as a person for those necessary details to fit people in the space that you're living in you have to have something and the the things that I'm good at finding are, are or observing just are in nature because that's where I am a lot of times. 
I'm not super good at putting people in, in the, you know, in big city places because I don't spend enough time in them. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's sort of in my mind connected to that in terms of memory. There's a, there's also a sense of tradition, and your career has operated both in and out of country music, and you, you know you played with people important to history, fiddle with the Texas Playboys, roots all the way back to Bob Wills. You played with Joe Shaver, toured and collaborated with John Prine later in his career, founding member of the High Women, and um, also in the 400 unit. These are major figures in American and Americana music. But you also push way outside of these traditions, especially on the last few records. And does this enter your head in any way when you're writing and creating music? Or do you just make music that sounds right to you? I Yeah, I just make music that sounds right to me. But I started learning Western swing and jazz at a young age. So there's a thing that happens when you've learned all the standards and played them all and sat in with everybody and uh, all the keys in the world. And I, I just... Kind of like with the thing with with going back to school, I get into a thing and I get into it until I feel like I've passed burnout to where I keep going and then and then I um, change. So I did that and I still love Western swing and country. I even played with uh, Jody Nix the other day in Texas and I love that the complex you know chord changes and a lot of that stuff. But um, for me right now, I'm ju- I'm trying to figure out how to. A lot of times folks, when they see a fiddle, want to say, that's country. And um, you don't see a lot of folks with a fiddle because the fiddle's not very cool, apparently, these days. You know, it goes in and out of fashion. What I've done is just, I've been developing a violin fiddle sound that that fits in with the rock band, like Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. There are a lot of cool things I can do that a lot of people wouldn't think you could do on a fiddle. Like I could chop heads with the best of them on guitar <laughs> if, if you're not scared to uh, turn me up in the, in the house. And I can twin fiddle and guitar like Thin Lizzy if you wanted. And I'm proud of that. And I, I try to... I've been, I've been learning a lot of guitar things on the fiddle. And then also Jason's been doing some things with fifths on the guitar lately. I am trying to figure out how to do the fiddle in the context of Amanda Shires, who is kind of country, but I think I'm more rock and roll, but whoever wants to call me, whatever is fine. Um, but that when they see it, they don't automatically put it into this other thing that it doesn't really fit in. I consider myself more of, more of rock and roll in the, in the old school sense of like, not old school, but I can't like, you know, I can do all that. Lonely at Night was one of my favorite songs on the record. The line, stop with these little wars. I super love but I was listening to it and I started I sometimes do this but I started hearing Prince singing um, it kind of like the sign of the times era like um, there's that song on that record called Slow Love and it, it, it has that they both have this real soulful elegance that kind of um, blows me away and there's a so there's a sense of timelessness there but it is it's new and um, that's exciting to me to listen to but there's also a sense of in on the record of like documenting a specific time as we mentioned like with the yeah. um, presence that's what, that's what they all tend to do <laughs> you know for for recording well yeah i mean you, you talked in the in the terry gross interview about those fault lines in particular documenting a, like a rough time in a relationship and do you feel like Making records allows you to sort of chart your story, or like I, I sort of think of it as like marking your height, marking my height against the wall a little bit. <laughs> like here's where I was in 2017, etc. Do you have a sense of that? Like this is what I was thinking about at that time. And do you ever go back to listen to the old ones? I never listen to the records once they're recorded. 
I um recently though with the Christmas record and Take It Like a Man, I have I made the um the lead sheets or the musical sheets made into a little book with the lyrics. So when I do have to reference one to look at it, to learn it, I don't have to go and listen to myself. I can just right. read it on the page. The thing about the time marking the time, I feel like I do that definitely when I make a record. But I wrote To the Sunset in about it was either 2016 or eight, 2016, I believe, because in High Women. But that, a lot of those stories were from my mom's perspective that I wrote. But um, when I put Take It Like a Man out, I was either going to release a record that was about time or I was going to release a record that, was, that had a lot to do with my marriage. And then that took a minute to decide on because I knew that um, it wasn't just me that would be involved with the with the criticism and everything that goes with that. But in the end, um, I was uh, swayed in the direction of of let the best song win. So it came out that the record that was about time is uh, canned. But, you know, that's what you do. You kind of write your songs and then decide later, I guess, what what you're going to be, what's going to make the collection. Because it's not easy to have like a, like a, marriage or like a romance that people like sometimes think about or not I don't know what they do but it's hard to it would be hard I think for anybody to talk about when when shit's not right like even if it's just boyfriend girlfriend stuff because yeah because that sucks but that, here we are. That's, ve- that's very hard. It's, and it's mm-hmm. absolutely put under a microscope in a way that it wouldn't be if um, your partner was less less famous, et cetera. You know? It would still be hard on everybody. It's, I mean, it's still hard. <laughs> it's hard to have a relationship, exactly. period. But, yeah. but you know, it, 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 you know, they're going to be looking for clues in your record and then, and then his record and vice versa, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it you know, could be never-ending. And maybe it, maybe it is. I don't know. I guess that's cool because you don't have to think about that when you're just writing, you know, in your little room. that Nobody has to hear it until you decide <laughs> that they can. Like, am yeah. I ready to endure this or is this going to, I don't know. In the end, you have to, you have a choice to whether you put it on the record or not. I guess yeah, you understand yeah. what what it means. Um, mm-hmm. In that sense, like um, you know, the, the problem, the song from twenty twenty. Obviously, you've been outspoken about women's reproductive rights, and and I'm thinking about that. You know, as I was prepping for this, that song comes out in twenty twenty, and God, we're further away from where we should be than when that song came out. And was that, I'm trying, I can't remember the exact timing, but was was sort of the changing of the Supreme Court? It was It was when um, Amy Coney Barrett was getting confirmed, like going through that stuff. And I was just playing the tape out, and I was like, damn, this is going to be the end. This is the worst. And then, and then it was and still is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 depressing, but I, I, it is a mark. Again, it seems like a marking of time, and I, you know, unfortunately, we're looking back to twenty twenty. Um, but yeah, it, it it's kind of it's it struck me as I as I kind of put the put the dates and all that together. And then after COVID, I was pregnant and outside of the outside of the um, uterus. It was I was pregnant in my left fallopian tube. I didn't know that because I thought, you know, I'm just pregnant person walking around. And then on stage, it burst open and ruptured. And then, you know, I was like, the show must go on. You know, I felt pain. I have a high pain tolerance. 
18 hours later, I'm getting emergency surgery and I've been internally bleeding for ever. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back home for a year to get better. Yeah. So that was, that sucked. And then 10 days later, um, shit hit the fan in Texas and there's a, a medication you could take if you, if you got pregnant in your fallopian tube that will sometimes, um, abort the little cells that are in there causing the, your life or death experience. And then that, now you can't take that. You can't get that. They're like letting people burst all over the place and such. And then they're trying to reimplant things into places that it's like, it's impossible. What am I, you're going to put my fallopia tube in my uterus now? What do you think you are? This is, this just sounds crazy, but there's all kinds of crazy things that have just made it harder and made things worse. And, and, and there's lots of folks dying every day. Yeah. And it, it just really sucks. And, and I try to think about ways that that can get better, but I don't see any yet except for the occasional state, you know, turning here and there. But I don't know. People are like, well, at least we got the Senate. And I'm like, at least my ass. You still have rights. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the song the song is really striking. And, and, and honestly, now more than ever, um, unfortunately. I mean, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it rings as, as, as we get further away. The place that the money that that was going to... Um, the Yellowhammer um, Fund in the South, they, you know, provided um, resources and help for, for folks in, in the southeastern parts of the United States. I mean, they've shuttered, and you, you've got to look elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, on, on, on a fatalist note, I have one more Perfect. for you. Perfect. I love fatalism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, one of the things I was thinking of when I started this podcast, which was connected to a record I made, and, and it was about how we remember those that we love when they're gone, how we carry their stories with us. And we mentioned Billy Joe Shaver, John Prine, uh, no longer with us. I think I met you for the first time when you were playing with Justin Towns Earl, um, mm-hmm. who's also passed. Mm-hmm. I've also lost people, and other songwriters have been close to me, that I've been thinking about this for a long time, or at least the last few years, a lot. How do you think you carry those sort of those people those stories those whatever lessons whatever things you learn from them how do you kind of honor them as you move forward with your own career and songs etc well first i'm a fan of every every person i've worked with um i made a decision a long time ago to only work with folks that i liked their work and that i could learn from and um they're, they're folks that I play their records a lot of times, and I carry them with me in that way. And then, and and that that I worked with them, there's so so many good memories and lessons I learned along the way too. Uh, when it comes to even um, working on the stage and learning those things, you learn like how to deal with hecklers. Like sometimes I think about that, I was like, oh, that's how Billy Joe Shaver would have done that, or or when I'm dealing with like some kind of daily improv- improvisation like when I forget my shoes I'm like well that's what John Prine would have done and then yeah. you know that kind of thing and I, th- I think I, yeah you can't help but carry them with you but um I also try to just I just don't think about anything except for <laughs> except for how much fun we had really and then also little daily things come up and I'm like well I'm glad that they're still like they're still living in song and they still like live in my heart as cheesy as that sounds but it's true and I believe in angels so I think they're still hanging around. Amazing. Well, that's a great place to end. So thank you so much for doing this. I really hey, appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for putting up with me. Oh, man, putting up. I enjoyed all this. There you are. Huge thanks to Amanda Shires for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed the talk. 
If you haven't immersed yourself in her last record, Take It Like a Man, I think you should do that now because it's really great. Also, a huge thanks to you for listening. We've got more cool guests coming up, so please listen and subscribe and keep joining me here on That's How I Remember It. <laughs> <laughs>